Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of We Are Going Up. It is the first show of December and I'm pleased to say as a pre-Christmas treat, Jim Knight is here. Hello, mate. Back from uh, watching his side go top of the Football League at the weekend. Yeah. In a very good mood. David Cameron Walker, though, in lesser spirits, I would think. Yeah. After uh, Saturday. And you are very much the star of the two unfortunates this week. Well, I mean, and yourself as well. Very much so. Yeah. So there's nothing, down. there's nothing like a bit of a shameless self-promotion. So if you'd like to read that interview with us on The Two Unfortunates, go to thetwounfortunates.com. And speaking of shameless self-promotion, are you aware that on Friday this week at midday, there is a big thing happening? Do you know what it is? Hmm. I'll, well, be in, I'll be in the gym at, at yeah, that Yeah, well, draws not <laughs> till four o'clock, so it can't be that. That is time. when the voting closes for the 2013 Football Sports Federation Awards in association with William Hill. So you've got until Friday lunchtime to help us beat this lot. The Anfield Wrap, Blue Moon, The Game, The Football Ramble and Football Weekly. What the, what, the bookie, no what the bookie's saying Easy. at this stage, Jim? What are the odds? I'd, have we got an odds checker on? I'd have us about 250, 250 to 1. Oh, come on. 250 to 1. Unless Dave's been doing on. some, uh, some on. Yeah. Clear, clear cookie action that I'm not aware <laughs> of. I think we're long shots. Jim, ask me how people uh, vote. Mark, how do we vote? Go to fsf.org. Dot uk slash awards or if you go to our Twitter which is uh, twitter.com slash wagyu podcast the link is at the top there. DC, have you got a final pitch to people for votes? Why should we win? Why should people vote for us? Because we're nice <laughs> and we're asking you to do it nicely at the kindness of your heart. And we're the Christmas. only ones that cover the Football League. Yes. Out yes. of that whole list. Yeah. Right, on to this week's show then. Um, it's a bit of a bumper special, as you can see by the duration of this show, because it's all been happening. Carnage, chaos, managerial mayhem, however the hell you want to put it. Football League managers dropping like flies this week. There was Guy Whittingham at Portsmouth last Monday, which we covered on the show with Bob Beach. Since then, though, another five have gone. Five have been sacked. Owen Coyle, Dave Jones, David Flickcroft, Richie Barker and Sean O'Driscoll. And let's be honest, the chances are another one's probably gone by the time you hear this as well. So, DC, you have devised a five-point test for these sackings that you would like to explore. First of all, tell us what it's called, because I love the name. And secondly, explain the criteria. Well, I thought we'd call it the fit and proper sackings test. Like it. Good. Uh, let's, let's find out whether these people actually deserve to be relieved of their job. So, I think just r- roughly the kind of main areas you, you've got to look at. One would be obviously the form and recent results uh, two performances have have the performances been better than the results suggest or vice versa injuries have managers been dealt a poor hand and a, you know an un- unlucky hand perhaps with some of the injuries in their squads investment has there been investment into the squad have they been backed in the transfer market or are they struggling on a on a shoestring and then finally uh, a little word i think is important in business <laughs> morale 
Uh, Cheers, David Brent over there. <laughs> there are Alan Sugar over there. Amongst uh, fans, I mean, fans, you know, are the are the fans behind the manager? Are, are the board behind the manager? Does the manager have the belief of the players and and the staff at at the club? Okay, so over the next hour or so, we're going to be putting the fit and proper sacking test into play, and we're going to be speaking to the following guests and sports journalists: Dom Housen from the Sheffield Star will come on to talk to us about Dave Jones. Matthew Murray from the Barnsley Chronicle is going to come on and talk to us about David Flickcroft. Steve Pickthall, the sports editor of the Crawley observer will be on to talk to us about Richie Barker and Sean Thorne from BBC Radio Bristol Sport will be in the studio as well but first they say local media is dead in this country <laughs> keeping it alive but first we're going to start with Wigan Athletic the FA Cup holders and boss Owen Coyle party company by supposed mutual consent on Monday after three home defeats in a week two in the league and one in the Europa League it leaves them 14th in the championship at the moment Coyle has won only seven of his 23 games in charge of Wigan since taking over from Roberto Martin in the summer. We're pleased to say that online right now to speak to us is Greg Faramond from the Wigan Evening Post and Observer. Greg, uh, thanks very much for coming on the show. Out of all the managerial sackings this week, this is probably the most surprising uh, to a lot of outsiders. Wigan are only six points off the playoffs after all. Had there been murmurings of discontent about Coyle for a while from the fans? From the fans, uh, I'd say so, unfortunately, yes. Um, He always had a hard task taking over from someone as popular as Roberto Martinez, but... um, yeah, I think the style of play didn't really sit well with some fans, um, which was a bit unfortunate. I, you know, personally, I, I think he did quite a good job at firming up the defence. It was just, you know, in terms of in front of goal, Wigan really didn't produce much. You know, to only score one away goal since the opening day of the season is, is pretty poor. But um, yeah, the fans have started murmuring over, over the past month or so, and then it came to a head really on Sunday. You know, obviously, no set of home fans are going to be best pleased when they go three 0 down inside half an hour against a team who you're probably supposed to be at worst level with so yeah it was, it's been coming I think with the fans uh, appalling defending as well for those those three goals in that opening half an hour against Derby and uh, against a Derby team who were managed by Steve McLaren who I believe was linked with the job um, first time around in, in the summer um, but just looking at what Owen Coyle's sort of had to work with since he got the job taking over from Roberto Martinez obviously with relegation from the Premier League inevitably comes an exodus of players and Wigan were no different in that the biggest one being James McCarthy who went to Everton with Martinez but a host of other players left as well but he did have the opportunity to bring in quite a lot of players and, and Premier League players at that like the likes of James Pert Scott Carson James McLean Nick Powell on loan from Manchester United so you know, Grant Holt as well all these players have done well at a higher level so they, it could be said they have they are under performing yeah it's got to be said he, he's, to be fair to Owen he's brought in some very very good players and you know on very good prices as well you know they didn't play a lot of money for Grant Holt and um, you know they've not overspent at all so he's he done really well he was just getting them to function and, and getting them to produce you know winning performances which 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 he struggled with which is obviously what you've got to do in football these days obviously they've been fighting on two fronts for the European campaign as well you know whether you can point at that but there's been especially the last few games I think there's been a, a point towards the end of the game where we're going to kind of drifted off a little bit and, and seem to tire a bit easier which um, again you can point at the European campaign for that but no you, you, as you say he brought in some really good players some players who have who have done really well. The likes of Ryan Shotton, who he brought in on loan from Stoke, has been really good at the back. James McLean, he's, he's, he's showing some real signs. Uh, you know, he's, he's improving game by game. There's, there's a lot of potential there. But again, he's probably up front where, you know, Wigan seems to, you know, really like the. He brought two strikers in a third 
just days before he, you know, he parted company with the club in, in Will Team. But the, the two strikers he brought in really haven't produced in front of the goal, fortunately. I was going to ask about some of the players that are still there, actually. But, um, obviously, the players that he's brought in are of good quality, as we said. But some players like uh, John Beauchesur, Ben Watson, Jordi Gomez, these are players that he inherited from the squad that came down with Wigan from the Premier League. And for my money, they were a couple of the players that I probably would have earmarked to, to go elsewhere. Is it a case of them being on two good a contract to be able to leave in that teams don't want to pay the money that they're already on and they're happy to sit out their deals or is it just a case of you know them wanting to play for the club and Coyle convincing them that you know there was going to be a promotion charge on the cards uh, I think with those three I don't think Wigan were ever really in a great danger maybe with Jordi Gomez who on his day is a very very good technical player probably one of Wigan's best with Ben Watson and John Bolsonaro to my to my knowledge there was never any interest in them it was, it was like a Callum McManaman I think um, where Wigan did well to keep. You know, he was fantastic towards the end of last season. There was a lot of hope he was going to do well going into this season, but he, he struggled. And to be fair to the lad, he, he has been injured. It's, it's nothing to do with to do with him. He has he has struggled to come back from an injury he sustained towards the back end of last season, so he's he struggled for fitness. So he's been a bit unlucky there. But one thing you've got to remember as well is Wigan's best player last year was Sean Maloney, and he's he's been ruled out for a very long time with it with injury. Um, so so Owen Coyle's not had that to deal with as well. He, he's had to bring in some some other players and. He brought in Nick Powell, who, <laughs> again, he's done quite well, to be fair. You know, he, he had to hold the fort when we had two strikers injured. He, he played up front, and he's never done that before, to my knowledge, and he did really well. So, no, he, he's had a few obstacles to deal with, and he's, he's kept a few players at the club, like, like I mentioned, um, Callum McManaman, though, he, he thought could leave. So, it seemed to go so well, especially in the transfer window, but he's just getting it to click in the performance, and we kind of expect in every week Owen Coyle was saying that it's going to happen, you know, it's going to happen soon, it's going to happen soon. A, a fortnight ago, he told me in a press conference, one team's going to get hit four or five, but, you know, then we lost three in the bank <laughs> in, in, in the league, so, in the, in, the, in the cup as well, so, it didn't work. Greg, um, Dave Whelan's a man who usually with managers, and Paul Jewell and Roberto Martinez is quite loyal, doesn't really sort of jump into um, decisions. Why do you think he's decided to make this change so early? Is he thinking and he said, we need to get promoted back this season to the Premier League? He's loyal if he, if he knows it's the right man. He's not he's not afraid to push the button. Um, Chris Hutchins, I think, lasted 12 games a few years ago. Other managers, there's a, a manager years and years ago called Ray Mathias, very, very popular still in Wigan today. He got sacked at the end of the season, and he finished in the playoffs. And the only, you know, he got sacked after losing in the playoffs to a dodgy goal against Manchester City. So he's not afraid to push the button if he needs to. He just wants to get the right man. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you guys have seen. He's been on Sky tonight saying the exact same thing. As you say there, if, if he loses confidence in in his manager, then I suppose a businessman like Dave Whelan has got to be decisive and make the right decision and and, and back himself. But I can't help but look at the table and think that. You know, Wigan have got a reasonable, a reasonably good defensive record, as you alluded to. It's just goals that are the problem. Uh, once they, you know, perhaps get knocked out of the Europa League and they start to maybe be a bit fresher, not have that to deal with, they've got a game in hand still as well. You know, I, I think that this is this is harsh. And that Owen Coyle, certainly, if he could have had a bit more time to try and get those forward players working, it's not going to take too many results to see Wigan, you know, right up there on the edge of the playoffs. No, it's a, it's a fair point and one, one that can go along with and. I think you speak to a lot of people outside the club and inside the club, and you can kind of understand both points of view. From outside looking in, if I was if I was neutral looking at another club, I would think it was harsh. But I think if you take a look in from inside the club, and you know I was at the game on Sunday, obviously against Derby, and the atmosphere was very negative. You know, and it was getting worse and worse each game. And 
to, to go 3-0 down in the manner that they went 3-0 down, it was obvious that something was wrong. Um, so I think Dave Whelan, who, who had been away on holiday, actually, before the game, he, he just got back from Barbados. He was <laughs> he's always on holiday, that man. Of course he has. So he was over there with the FA Cup. He's done that before. He'll do it again, I'm sure. So he has to give it back. In fact, he'll probably go and hide it over there. <laughs> um, but yeah, he got back, and I don't think he was best pleased with what he saw. So it's... Um, it took something. He's he just said Dave Whelan now that you know he, he claimed he didn't actually sackle him. He, he, he took him upstairs and, and told him he was disappointed with his performance. He was disappointed with the team selection. And Owen Coyle turned around and said, well, do you want me to resign? And Whelan just said, yeah. So that's how it came about, apparently. Ah, uh, Greg's supposed to say yes, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Greg, uh, talk to us about um, Graham Jones, because he's been linked with getting the job full-time. Yeah, Graham Jones, he's a Wigan Athletic legend. He, he, he is. He, he played with Roberto Martinez, um, 15, 16 years ago, he got the golden boot, was integral in getting Wigan promoted from in 1997, uh, and he's a proper club man. And I think a lot were hoping that he would take over when Roberto left in the summer, but he, he, he chose to stay loyal to Roberto and go with him to Everton. I'd, I'd be very surprised if he if he turned around now and said no, I, I you know I want to I want to go back to Wigan, but it's football, isn't it? And you know if these men want to to be a number one, then you know why shouldn't it be? I think his his style would would be very similar to Roberto's, but uh, again, it's an unproven manager. Do Wigan need someone who can, you know, who's got a bit of um, history in, in doing well in, in the championship? But they had that with Owen Coyle, and it's, it's not worked out. Uh, another unproven manager who's been linked with the job currently, the bookies' favourite, is Mike Phelan, who it looks like he's eager to follow in the footsteps of Rennie Mullenstein, his, his fellow coach from Manchester United under Fergie, and, and take a job full time. I believe as well, I've, I've seen a few journalists tweeting, I think it was Mark Ogden, I think from the Telegraph, who said that Phelan was close to getting the job in the summer. Uh, so you'd, you'd imagine that he would have talks with, uh, with Dave Whelan again this time. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sure if he, if he applies, then Dave Whelan will take him very seriously, not least because... Dave Whelan's a big, well, he says he's a big friend of, of Sir Alex Ferguson's, and I'm sure Sir Alex Ferguson will give him a glory reference. He'd certainly be a frontman, I imagine. He's he's probably someone who's definitely, you know, ready to, to take a number one position now. He's he's had a fair amount of experience as a number two, hasn't he? So I'm sure he'd be someone who, who would be in the running. You know, the way I see it at the moment, I think there's there's two standout characters, um, two standout managers with the, with the bookmakers. There's him and Ian Holloway who are, who are way out in front, and Last time the bookmakers didn't get it wrong, uh, get it wrong in the summer when they said that Owen Coyle and Steve McLaren were two foot runners. They got that spot on. So it's early days all this time, I think. And you're a man who'll have obviously watched a lot of Premier League football over the last sort of uh, eight years or whatever it was that Wigan were there. And um, what have you made of the Championship this season? The teams you've seen. Do you think this uh, Wigan squad is good enough to get promoted? Yeah, on paper certainly, he's one of the best. And I, I, you know, I know I'm probably biased in saying that, but it is a very, very good side with some naturally gifted footballers. You know. We touched on Yordi Gomez before. I still say on his day that Yordi is one of the best in the division. He's, he's fantastic on the ball. He's one of the best passers of the ball you've seen. You've got Grant Holt who scored goals for fun at Norwich, uh, and you've got the makings of very of a very good back four. And who, who before last week were, were superb. You know, Wigan had a, an unbeaten home record before losing three on the bounce. It sounds madness, but yeah, he, he probably just needs that right manager maybe to to help them gel. And and Dave obviously thought that you know that wasn't a win and. It, it turned out that you know he, he wants another man, and it's, it's going to be an important appointment, that's for sure, because he, he can't afford to get this one wrong. Greg, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Uh, Cheers, that's uh, Greg Ferriman from the Wigan Evening Post and Wigan Observer. In just a second, we're going to be off to Hillsborough, where time has finally caught up with Dave Jones. (laughs) 
So Blackpool 2, Sheffield Wednesday, nil. The result that finally did for Dave Jones in the end. We've been speculating about it on the show for a while now. And finally, Milan Mandaric has pulled the plug on his 21 months at Hillsborough. Uh, Dominic uh, Housen is a sports reporter at the Sheffield Star and covers Sheffield Wednesday. And we're pleased to say that Dom is on the phone right now. And Dom, I think it's fair to say this had been coming for quite a while. Well, I, I think it's one of those where we thought after they'd been reading to get their first win of the season 5-2 earlier, you know, the, you know, the start of November, we, we thought that they might have turned a corner. It was a great performance and result that day. And then three matches on, they've lost them all to really poor performances, it has to be said, against Derby and Huddersfield. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I actually thought that first half, or certainly for the first hour at Bloomfield Road, that they were really competitive. Uh, but unfortunately, the, the, you, know, you can't escape the facts that they haven't kept a clean sheet all season. That's just dreadful. You know, you can't build any foundations uh, you know, by uh, you know, not keeping clean sheets. And 17 matches in all competitions. You know, they're the only team in the football league, Mark, who haven't kept a clean sheet. You know, that just tells you everything. They've had no continuity in selection uh, when it comes to their back five. They through injuries, loss of form, suspension, you name it. That certainly hasn't helped. And the team have just underperformed massively. You just, you, there's no hiding away from that. Uh, you know, we, we spoke to Roger Johnson after the game um, at Blackpool and, and, you know, he was pretty damning. You know, he, he he came out and pretty much said that don't blame Dave Jones, blame the players. They've not been good enough. And he said, you know, after the second goal went, to, went in at Blackpool, you know, he came out and, and told the written press that they gave up. Mentally, they actually just gave up. That last 20 minutes, they just gave up. And, you know, that, that, you can't get any more damning than that. That's, that's you know, big, big criticism, you know, to level, uh, you know, professional footballers that for that last 20 minutes, they just felt like that was, you know, that was it. And they, they just surrendered, you know, put the white flag up and that was it. So everyone's going to say that, uh, you know, he's, he's gone terribly this season, which he has. But I think you can't forget that you know Dave Jones got them up. You know, ten wins, two draws. He got them promotion into uh, the championship, and then he you know they consolidated last season. You know, the aim was just to survive, and they did that. And then everyone thought they were going to kick on this season, and that's just not been the case. If you look back to, to last season, they were in a, a similar position at the start of the season, towards the start of the season. I remember there being a lot of speculation about Dave Jones. There was a terrible losing run, wasn't there, at the start of yeah, last season? Seven, but, but Mandaric, seven in a row. Mandaric backed him, and eventually they got out. You know, they stayed up by four points in the end. Do you think that you know there was any chance that Dave Jones could have repeated this this feat had he been backed by Mandaric, or was it you know Lightning wasn't going to strike twice? You can't really put too much of the blame, in my opinion, on, on Milan Mandaric on this occasion because he's tried to back Dave Jones as much as he possibly can in the transfer market. You know, with bringing loans in, you know, they've got two high-quality loan signings in at the minute, and Connor Wickham and Matty Fryer. You know, a lot of Championship teams would love to have those strikers at their disposal. Uh, you know, and then even before the game on Saturday, he was still trying to back Dave Jones because they hoped to sign Glenn Leuvens, um, you know, centre half. Uh, but his international clearance didn't come through in time for the game. But, you know, that one was a done deal, but they didn't get the clearance in time, so he didn't play. So he he would have been another, you know, signing. You know, in total the stats are 
Dave Jones has nearly made, in 21 months in charge, he made nearly 40 signings. 40 signings. <laughs> you know, that, that is unbelievable. Um, and a huge turnover of players coming in and coming out. Now, I'm not saying for one moment that you know they've spent a lot of money on those nearly 40 players because they haven't they haven't spent a lot of money on fees for players you know he's had to wheel and deal and bring in a lot of players in on loan or out of contract you know who other clubs haven't touched for whatever reason so i'm not saying for one minute that he's had the biggest resources in in that division but i, I think everybody still expected nonetheless that they would kick on and, and would still be pushing maybe towards mid-table this season. Stuart Gray is going to be in charge for the Leicester game on Tuesday night this week. Um, he's the first team coach, I believe, there at the moment. Yeah. Realistically, is is he going to have a shot at getting this job or is it going to be someone from this list which we've seen today of Stuart Pearce, Appleton, DeCanio, Neil Warnock and so on? I personally don't think that Stuart Gray... Is is in contention for for the job, but then again, if he gets a couple of results in the next, you know, in the next two or three games, you know, Leicester doesn't come any more difficult than that uh, on Tuesday, and then they're at home to Nottingham Forest, so they've got you know a couple of tough games straight away on the horizon. I, I, I wouldn't rule it out, but you know, they they would have to put some. You know, I, I don't anticipate that Milan Mandaric is going to be, you know, faffing around forever to make an appointment. Uh, so Stuart Gray, you know, they would have to turn in one heck of a performance for Stuart Gray, and he's going to be assisted by Lee Bowen um, against Leicester. Uh, you know, he was a former Wednesday captain. He's a development coach there. You know, I think Lee Bowen's someone who maybe for the future, but for the here and now, I, I think they need someone who's experienced um, at that level. Uh, and then who can, as I say, in January, they're going to have to maybe restructure and rebuild that squad again. And he's going to have to get a few players out and and you know get some new ones in. Uh, because right now the quality is not there. It was a combination of that and the players are just not you know, quite hitting the heights, which, uh, you know, very disappointing for the fans and everybody connected with the club. I mean, surely, the, as we as we discussed, the defence has been the real, the real issue. And if you, you look at... Back at the results, I mean, the month of October, you're unbeaten. Sheffield Wednesday were unbeaten in that month. Four one-all draws. You know, if you sort out the clean sheets and turn a couple of those into victories, then Dave Jones is probably still in a job. So surely, I mean, Mandarich's priority must be to get a manager in that can sort out that defence because you do have some attacking some attacking talent in the squad. Connor Wickham, you mentioned, when Mikel Antonio is fit and playing, he's been a player that's looked impressive in this league. And, you know, there, there, there is goals, I think, in this squad, but that defence just really does need to be sorted out. I couldn't agree more, but I, I mean, I think it's important to say that the problem they've got now is that they'd like to they'd like to have kept Matty Fryer uh, for another month, but it, it has been sort of confirmed today that he's gone back to Hull City, so that's a blow. He's not going to be available against Leicester, so they're going to have to make a change up front. And I mean, you mentioned there, Mikel Antonio. He scored nine goals and was the top scorer last season. Uh, and he missed the final two months of the season with injury. But he, he is one of those players, again, who hasn't delivered on a consistent basis this year. He's another one uh, who, you know, is, you know, big things are expected of. But I think by even, you know, by his own admission, uh, his form's been uh, very up and down as well. And they've got other attacking players. You know, they signed Jack McHomer, who was one of the best players in League Two last season for Burson. You know, he got something like 18 goals and double-figures assists. He's not got to grips or uh, been given regular 
you know, first team football championship level and he's not acclimatised. He's another one who they've had high hopes for, but he's not given them that, that sort of boost or lift that they, you know, they expected. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of people, including myself, I'm pointing quite a bit of the blame at the defence. Uh, the lack of clean sheets but there's quite a few attacking players who I could name who I don't think have put the hand up enough so it, you know when you when you throw and put everything together you know there's, there's just been a lot of change at that football club and right now they need stability So you said they had the need for stability what's morale like around, around the fans is it a case of they need a rejuvenation a, an exciting manager like Ian Holloway or is it a case of planning for the longer term Well it I mean, football, I mean, what have we had? Seven managers uh, who've been sacked in the last eight days. <laughs> not, managers are not given a lot of time in modern-day football, and patience is in short supply from the fans right up to the boardroom. I mean, from, from my interactions with the fans over the last couple of days, I get the distinct impression that they want someone who... He's very passionate, sort of on the touchline. Someone that they didn't. I think one of the criticisms they had of Dave Jones was they didn't believe that he was a manager who didn't always express his emotions on the touchline, uh, or you know, someone who, to them, just wasn't you know the, the, that fire. That I think they perceived that fire wasn't there on the touchline, which is what they wanted, you know, or in the dugout of you know him throwing his hands in the air and screaming for every decision and, and uh, you know, really urging the team on, uh, which, which personally I think is, is rubbish. But I think that is, you know, some, again, that was what the fans perceived was um, part of the reason why I think some of them didn't take to Dave. Uh, so, you know, a lot of fans have, you know, on, on social media and have uh, been in contact with us. You know, I, I think, you know, Stuart Pearce is one of those names who's, Getting talked about a lot, and uh, you know if he's, you know he's certainly a passionate player, uh, and yeah, the impression I get is that the fans they just want somebody. I, I, I think some, I think quite a lot of them um, wouldn't be completely against Neil Warnock, even though he's, uh, even though he's got uh, massive connections to the other side of the I was, was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask you about Warnock because. Um, he was on the radio this morning on on his regular um, breakfast show on Talk Sport, and they were obviously asking him about the about the reports. And he played it quite clever, really. He he didn't distance himself away from the job, but he was also kind of semi sort of tongue in cheek, obviously with a knowing nod to his um his time and his his association with Sheffield United. But I got the impression that if it was perhaps offered to him on, on on a basis maybe till the end of the season just to kind of keep mm-hmm. them up, that he might be interested. And it was interesting to see the reaction from the fans. It was reasonably split in terms of some people being for it, which surprised me. Well, I think it's because they need results in the situation that they're in. And, uh, you know, you look at the calibre of managers who are out there and, you know, Neil Warnock... He, you know, like him or hate, you know, hate him. The fact is that the guy's got seven promotions on his CV. Not many managers can say that. Um, you know, he, he's achieved fantastic things in the lower leagues, uh, and you know, got Sheffield United into the Premier League back in you know, 2006. And he, he's a lifelong Sheffield United fan. So, yeah, I, you know, some Wednesday fans are going to find it hard to get over that, really. You know, if they were to appoint somebody like Neil Warnock. But, but then again, we've had it before. 
uh, in the city in recent times. You know, we've had Danny Wilson who managed Sheffield Wednesday mm. uh, and then has ended up managing Sheffield United. So it's certainly not beyond the realms of possibility. Dom, thanks very much for coming on and uh, speaking to us about it. Thank you very much for having us on. That is uh, Dom Housen, who is uh, Sheffield Wednesday reporter, sports reporter at the Sheffield Star. Next, we're going to stay in Yorkshire and we're off to Oakwell. So bottom of the championship at the moment then are Barnsley. That 3-0 home defeat to Birmingham on Saturday uh, was the uh, final game in charge for David Flitcroft, who of course kept them up heroically in the end uh, last season, but he leaves the club bottom of the table. Only one win in their last 12 games on the line. Uh, to talk to us about Barnsley's decision to uh, sack Flitcroft is uh, Matthew Murray, who is a sports reporter at the Barnsley Chronicle. Matt, thanks for coming on the show again. I know we had you on uh, around about this time last year I think when Flickcroft came in after Keith Hill left um, he's gone did you see that coming uh, Was it? what's the opinion amongst the fans over the last few weeks yeah unfortunately we did see it coming Flickcroft as you said was the saviour last season he shocked everyone he pulled off the impossible they called it the great escape everyone was buzzing there was a lot of optimism in the summer Flickcroft was given certain assurances to stay at the club you know uh, at one stage Barnes are wondering whether they'd even be able to keep him because there was rumoured interest elsewhere but the board backed Flickcroft more than they've done in any recent time. And it kind of, everyone was optimistic. People thought of the playoffs, a mid-table finish, a bit of an improvement, but it's been absolutely disastrous. Two wins in 17 games, one win in the last 12, no away win since February. So, yeah, I think uh, the more sensible Barnsley fans did see it coming. I think uh, the poor form, the disappointing performances, some of the bizarre signings and decisions left the board with no option, really. So it was absolutely no shock. But at 5.30, David Flickcroft was given his marching orders by the chairman. You mentioned some of the bizarre signings. Because, as you rightly said, he did spend a bit of money by Barnsley standards in, in the summer. Uh, over half a million pounds on Dale Jennings and Chris O'Grady, along with a host of other free transfers, including the likes of Paddy McCourt from from Celtic, Peter Ramage, uh, who's in on loan from Crystal Palace. Um, you know, on paper, some of those don't look too bad signings, but they haven't worked out. No, not at all, really. I think uh, Flickcross recruitment in the summer has really let him down. You know, they say that managers live or die by their signings. Well, Flickcroft has died by his signings this summer. Um, I think, you know, he's got it disastrously wrong in, in many areas, really. The defence, he's brought in Jean-Yves Mavoto from Oldham, who, you know, um, a free transfer, but it's not really worked out. Lots of mistakes, lots of, of costly errors. Dale Jennings came in, the big signing from Bayern Munich, but looks short of match fitness, got sent off on his debut three minutes in. Not worked out, and he's been shipped out on loan to MK Dons. Louis Nyatanga signed from Bristol City, not even seen him, not played in one game yet this season. The list goes on, really. Peter Ramage came in, so-called you know, top, top league player, uh, played five games, lost four of them, drawn one, and then he's got injured. Marcus Pedersen, Norwegian international, scored just two goals. So, yeah, it's, uh, I guess the only real positive has been securing Chris O'Grady. That has worked well. He's Barnsley's top scorer with seven goals. So I think there's a bit of optimism there. But on the whole, I'd say it's been a disappointing summer of transfer activity for Flickcroft. I was looking around for a bit of fan reaction today and I noticed a few people that a kind of common theme coming up was the the overly defensive performances compared to last year, I suppose, where you're kind of rallying to stay in the league. Was it a case of Flickcroft looking not to get beaten in far too many games and kind of suffering the consequences of that rather than kind of going out and attacking teams? 
Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, early on in the season, they took some big batterings. You know, lost 5-2 at uh, Blackburn, lost 5-1 at home to Watford, 5-2 at home to Southampton, 4-0 at home to Wigan. Some really big hammerings. And I think Flickcroft probably reached the point where he thought, we can't keep conceding four or five goals here. Uh, I'm going to lose my job. So he tightened it up. He went defensive. But then it went the other way around, really. Barnsley couldn't seem to score any goals. So they... They failed to get a goal against Doncaster. Sheffield Wednesday were there for taking. They only scored once. Ipswich were there for taking. They only scored once. Millwall, they didn't score against. So, you know, the argument early in the season was we've played all the best teams, trust us, and then the poorer teams came along and Barnsley got a few draws and didn't really improve much. So, yeah, I think on the whole, really, conceding a lot of goals, not scoring many, it was only going to end one way. The achievement of David Flitcroft getting Barnsley to stay up last season, I don't think is one that we can we can do a disservice to. It was a good achievement, but is there is there a sense, perhaps, that he's been found out a little bit? Because there was the initial bounce when he came in, he took over from uh, from Keith Hill, but he actually only survived on the last day by the skin of your teeth. And he, at one point, you, you were down before Peterborough messed it up at Crystal Palace with the penalties and, and what have you. So... You know, you only save, only you know, really were 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 down at one point, and then it hasn't gone well at all for him this season. Do you think he's really, you know, he's been found out a little bit? I think so. I mean, I don't want to discredit Flickcroft for what he did last season because, you know, he motivated the players, he got them playing at the top, top, top of their game, and what he did was amazing. Barnsley were however many points adrift at Christmas, he turned it round. They had a, you know, an unprecedented run. Uh, results, picking up some away wins, some great performances, beating the likes of Hull, Leicester, Watford, uh, getting draws at Crystal Palace, Cardiff, Nottingham Forest. So, you know, I don't want to underestimate what Flickcroft did, and he clearly does have something about him as as a as a manager. But I think where it's really gone wrong has been, um, you know, the board have just backed him and backed him and backed him, and it seems like they've put all their eggs in Flickcroft's basket. And now I don't know what they're going to do because, you know, they've backed him, like I said, more than any other manager in recent history. And it's just not worked out for them. And uh, I just, I think, you know, there's some questions need to be asked asked there. You know, why did they give him so much money in the summer? Well, surely they should be given praise for that. As you said, they kept them up last season. looked like, you know, all those results you just mentioned were were impressive. And, you know, why not give him the money to try and prove himself? I guess, yeah, you can look at it that way. And I I think... um, Many of the same players now. Barnsley finished 21st for two seasons running, and now here they are at the bottom of, of the table. So although they did have a good sequence of results last season, I think ultimately you have to ask, are these players good enough to really push up the league? And yeah, there was a few additions, but the vast bulk of these players have played now for two, three seasons here, and they've yet to kind of get beyond that that uh, relegation scrap. So... I think a lot needs to be done if Barnsley are to, are to challenge further up the table. With that in mind, then, I was, my next question was going to be, has the damage already been done with so few points after 17 games? Um, and, and the way that we're talking about the squad, you know, these players not being good enough, even the players that half a million pounds were spent on, Dale Jennings and Chris O'Grady, people like that, not being good enough. Is, is the damage already done now? Is it limitation looking well, planning for next I, year? Or is that the, going think, to be the board's I attitude? Think... I don't think the board will come out and say that. You know, I think they're going to say we we can still turn it round. And last year is the perfect example of that. But they're six points adrift. They've shipped 35 goals in 17 games, giving them a horrendous goal difference. (laughs) 
some tough, tough away fixtures coming up. It's going to be tough. I mean, but it can be done, you know, uh, how the championship works. Two, three wins and, you know, you can start to see some progress. So let's not let's not put them down with the Christmas trimmings just yet. But I do think that um, it's looking difficult. And can Barnsley really keep doing it? I mean, you now Barnsley are jokingly labelled the Wigan of the championship, you know, somehow get out of it every year. Well, Wigan found out in May that it doesn't always work and eventually you will come a cropper and But you might win the FA yeah, Cup. Win the FA Cup on the way <laughs> you get Europa do. League next year. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt Barnes are going to win the FA Cup, but you never know. Jamie uh, Wiles, he's a Barnsley fan who listens, has tweeted and says, uh, we need a long-term plan now, not a short-term fix, even if that means getting relegated to do so. Uh, Mickey Mellon's in temporary charge now, isn't he, um, at the yeah. moment? Um, what are you thinking in terms of the next manager? Are there any sort of favourites locally? Well, I feel the fact that they've not... I mean, they sacked Flickcroft on Saturday night along with the first-team coach, Martin Scott. Now, Flickcroft brought Mellon to the club in January when he, he got the job. Um, so you kind of think, why didn't they get rid of all of them? Which makes me think that Mickey Mellon has a good chance of staking a claim for this job, just like Flickcroft did when he was in temporary charge kind of this time last year. So I feel that if, if they wanted shut of Mellon, they'd have got rid of him on Saturday night. What a great opportunity to do that. But they haven't. They obviously believe in him. They obviously um, think that he's capable. He had a tremendous record at Fleetwood Town, took them to the Football League, and I think he was sacked when they were well in the top half of the table. Uh, so Mickey Mellon's got something about him. You know, he was credited last year for kind of coming in and bringing some new ideas to the camp. So I think he's well in there. The other names doing the rounds, you know, um, Danny Wilson, a big, big favourite here at Barnsley, famously took the club to the Premier League for the only time in its history. And there's not really many names come to the top yet, you know. There's the, there's the usual Michael Appleton, Keith Curl shouts, but nothing else really. I've not seen any other names where Barnsley fans are saying, yeah, let's get him in, let's get him in. You know, some unrealistic supporters are saying Ian Holloway. Ian Holloway is never going to come to Barnsley. He's not going to come and work with Barnsley's budget. I doubt Barnsley could afford his salary. So I think we can kiss that one goodbye. So I think there's not much out there at the minute, unless they're going to go down the lower league option again, maybe speak to someone who's already in a job. I don't know. I guess it's going to be a real crucial few days. But my gut feeling is that if Mickey Mellon can do something here, if he can just you know, grind out some results, I think, um, I think they might give it him. Brilliant. Matt, thanks very much for coming on and speaking to us about it all. No problem. That is uh, Matthew Murray, sports journalist at the Barnsley Chronicle. Next then, we're going to go down into League One and we're going to go to the brilliantly named checkertrade.com stadium. So the first sacking of this ridiculous week then was uh, back on Wednesday uh, last week, the uh, day after Crawley Town drew nil-nil with Swindon Town in League One. Uh, that did make it seven games without a win for Crawley, with only one goal scored during that time. But I think to most people, it's still a surprise to see uh, Richie Barker sacked by the club the next day. On the phone right now, uh, we have got the uh, sports editor of the Crawley Observer, uh, Steve Pickthall. And Steve, it's not just Richie Barker who's left the club. It's Steve Coppel as well. Yeah, that's right. Hi, hi chaps. Um, in the last sort of half an hour or so, the uh, club have just confirmed that uh, Coppel's also departed as well. Um, there's been sort of murmurings for the last few days or so, but um, 
the, the club have just just sort of announced it in the in the last half an hour. So yeah. So as we record, that's official. What what was the reaction to the Barker sacking? Did you? Uh, I imagine you didn't see that coming, despite the uh, the poor run. No, I don't. I don't think anyone did actually. I mean, our back page was actually more linking to um, Portsmouth because they'd obviously just sat Guy Whittingham on the Monday, and uh, sort of overnight, Richie Barker was um, instilled as as one of the favourites. In fact, he was a hot favourite. Sort of by the time we went to print, sort of the end of Tuesday. So our our back page was uh, more kind of speculative as to will Crawley Town be able to keep Richie Barker. And then 24 hours later, uh, by sort of about three o'clock, news was emerging that Richie Barker had actually been sacked by the club. So it sort of turned full circle, really. But it was a, it was a big shock. Despite the run, it was, a, it was a big shock to everyone, really. I mean, the obvious sort of headline statistic from this poor run is that there's only been one goal scored in the last seven league games. But you started off the season completely the other way around, scoring loads of goals, but also shipping them in as well at the back. So the defence has perhaps been a little bit better recently, and but the, the goals have goals have absolutely dried up. Uh, was there any evidence in the performances that if Barker had give, been given a bit more time that he could have got the two uh, sides of the team working working better together and moved up the table? Well, it's difficult to say. I mean, as you say, it was, it's a sort of total chop and change, really. I mean, they, they scored 23 goals in sort of first 12 games, but um, obviously the problem was they were shipping goals and, and making mistakes. And uh, they, they managed to tight enough at the back, but it coincided with their, you know, sort of that parent run and, and Obviously, scoring one goal in sort of seven seven uh, League One games, which which wasn't good enough. But there was there was signs, you know, there was a few signs that um, positive sort of notes. I mean, he sort of drawn the last three games before he got um, got sacked, uh, Carlisle and then Walsall and Swindon. But uh, it, it was a bad run. There's no doubt about that at all. But obviously, you know, the club were. You know, when he left, not only immediate danger, but it still was quite a shock to everyone. I watched um, Crawley play at Wolves on the telly earlier this season. Um, I'm not sure if you were there, Steve, but uh, they were really, really good. So I was really shocked when I saw this because I'm a Berry fan and Richie Barker uh, was our manager, obviously, for uh, quite a while. Got us playing some uh, good football. What's the uh, style of play been like at Crawley under him? Yeah, I mean, that was a, that was brilliant. Man. I, I wasn't actually at that one, but I think they, um, a, sort of less than a week later, they turned over Peterborough as well at their own ground and at that point they were on a really good you know they were starting to play some really good football and um, playing some nice sort of stuff I and mean, he very much sort of tries to implement a passing sort of style um, you know short kind of passing and, and uh, quite different to the last sort of style of football played under Crawley you know it was, it was a real sort of passing style although in fairness that had broken down quite a bit by the end of, um, of his sort of tenure you know, the football wasn't wasn't very flowing. It wasn't as um, as fluent at all. But certainly going forward, um, towards the latter part. So as we uh, as we record this on on Monday night, there's a press conference scheduled for Tuesday morning with the the club expected to unveil John Gregory. Yeah, we, we kind of should have said by the time you hear this, John Gregory yeah, might might actually might be, well the be the new manager. manager. Um, yeah. Is uh, how was that perceived amongst <laughs> how was that come the Crawley faithful? Because to me, it looks quite a strange appointment. It's certainly out of left field, isn't it, for someone who spent the majority of his, uh, the last couple of years managing in Israel and Kazakhstan. Yeah, it's it's come out of nowhere, really. That one. It shows you. I think football is a bit of a funny game, and it's it's come. I think, from what I understand, um, Michael Dunford, who's, who's CEO at at, um, at Crawley, is um, has has links with um, Gregory. I think it's from time at Derby, if I'm right, and. So they've they've got that link there, but but in honesty, I mean the bookies didn't see that one coming. I don't think anyone did really, in fairness. And uh, actually, funny enough, I've just been on his Wikipedia page, and <laughs> apparently he's already the manager of Crawley Town, according to Wikipedia. But then, as you say, we've got a press conference um, tomorrow, which is Tuesday, sort of ten thirty, and it's 
widely expected that he will be announced, but um, but there's no actual news yet. But but it's um, going on the forum, um, having a little look. It's very much divided opinion. Really. Some say that he's, um, you know, got a lot of, a lot of sort of uh, knowledge even of the lower sort of leagues. But obviously, he didn't have a particularly successful time. I don't think in his latter sort of part of, of management. I think it's Israel, isn't it? Yeah, it's a couple of Israeli clubs, and I think didn't have the best of times. So it's going to be quite interesting. Obviously, I don't think he's been in work for, for quite a while. Certainly not an English game for sort of a good five or six years, I think. Well, once upon a time, I remember when John Gregory was being touted as a future England manager when he was doing well <laughs> Aston Villa. So who knows? Maybe there could be a resurgence on the cards. But just, I always think when you're looking at the dismissal of a manager, um, you've got to really weigh up success or, or lack of it uh, against expectations, and what was the expectation at Crawley this season? You're, I mean, nine points away from the playoffs currently. Were, were there ambitions of getting into the playoffs? And it's not like you've been spending big, big money. Sort of the reputation that you had when you came out of the conference, people used to sneer at Crawley and say they bought promotion, but that doesn't seem to have been happening recently. So, what were the re- realistic expectations of the board and, and of the supporters this season? Well, it's, as you say, the, the sort of lay of the land was very different to, um, to, to in previous seasons at Crawley, obviously, as we came out of the conference, and, and even in the tour, so they had good money to spend. That wasn't so much the case, actually, all the way under, under Richie's, uh, Richie's reign, but almost, um, you could say, made a bit of a rod for his own back, because they finished the first season under, under Barker, 10th in League One, only missed the playoffs, I think, by six points, and, uh, and it was you know, up until the last couple of months of the season, it was a, it was a, an outside possibility they could make those playoffs, um, and obviously that would have been quite a surprise in their first year. And obviously, starting the season this year as well as they did, they're playing some good football, getting good results and good performances. And so there has been maybe a bit of a false expectation uh, there, and possibly Dark has paid for that. There isn't any concern, is there, from the fan base about sort of getting dragged into a relegation battle? It's not been something that's been mentioned at the moment. I mean, we're obviously sort of early early days. I'm not sure what the points difference is at the moment. It's not a great deal, I don't think. And, and, five points. And obviously, it's five points. Yeah. It? yeah. Um, obviously, the run they've been on, they, you know, at the moment they've been dropping like a stone. I think they're 15th at the moment in, in League One. And they obviously have been on a bad run and, and have been falling down the table. So that is something that... Uh, John Gregory, if he comes in, obviously, as expected, he'll, he'll be tasked with turning that around immediately. It's, um, it's not going to get any easier immediately either because the next two league games are Preston and Leighton Orient. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think um, exactly. It's a, it's a t- you know, tough run. I mean, they've, uh, they've been on, you know, fairly tough on playing Walsall and Swindon. Um, last game, went up at crew actually without Barker and, and lost to a late goal. It wasn't a great performance again. Um, so... It doesn't get any easier. I think we've got MK Dons as well after that, so it's 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 going to be a t- it's going to be tough for him to turn it around. Obviously, not much time uh, to get accustomed to the players. Um, they've got an FA Cup game this Saturday away at Bristol Rovers, so that will be his first concern. Obviously, getting through that one, you know, there is a potential banana skin element, I suppose. So he'll be keen to sort of get one, that one out of the way, and then also concentrate on the bread and butter of uh, re- uh, resurrecting their league form. Good stuff, Steve. Thanks very much for coming on. And uh, best of luck under John Gregory. We'll see how he goes. Uh, that is Steve Pickthall, who is the sports editor of the Crawley Observer. Next, we're going to talk about a team who are 23rd in League One at the moment, and that is Bristol City. Mm-hmm. 
So to Ashton Gate then, where I think it was pretty well documented that Bristol City had a shocking start to the season in the league. They didn't win, uh, I don't think, for 12 games before that victory away at Carlisle at the end of October. Since then, a run of only one defeat in seven. So it came as a bit of a surprise last Thursday when Sean O'Driscoll uh, was sacked by the Robins and Sean Thorne, who've had on the show before. Never in here to talk about anything with good news <laughs> with you guys, is it? Uh, from BBC Radio Bristol Sport is in the studio. So, Sean, first of all, your reaction when you heard that O'Driscoll had been given the bullet? Well, I was legitimately 100% surprised after the performance against Leighton Orient, which arguably was, it was a very, very good performance against a side top of the table, which maybe on a different day we could have taken three points from. But in all of my time at sea, I don't remember a manager that sort of split views quite down the middle as Sean O'Driscoll did. There were some who were quite vehemently wanting him out of the position and then another section of the fans who could see what he was trying to do at the club. And it was just as the point when it looked like you could see what Sean O'Driscoll was trying to do was sort of coming to fruition. What, what was he trying to do? He was try- you, you could see that he was trying to put a specific style of play, which was going to be run from the academy to the under-21s up through to the first team. And when with Derek McInnes, we sort of experienced a manager who would try different things week after week after week. We'd have 3-5-2, 4-4-2, 4-3-3. Whereas Sean O'Driscoll was trying to establish a style of play and was sticking with it throughout. Now, I mean, you, I guess you can argue that you need a plan B, but you could see that he was trying to get these players to play in a way which I think in the long term would have made them better players and us a better team. So this is the quote then from uh, John Lansdowne who is the vice chairman. We've given the situation as much time as we could to improve but have become increasingly concerned about the club's league position. Now, you're not too happy with that well, statement. See, that, that that surprises me that because John Lansdowne was on BBC Radio Bristol last month and he was quoted to say Sean O'Driscoll needs time to succeed at Bristol City. So, what, I mean, what, what's happened in that month's spell. Well, I can tell you exactly what's happened. So two weeks after that, the record is three wins, three draws and one loss. So I'm, I'm confused at what, what's changed to then make the board suddenly decide that, right, we now aren't going to allow O'Driscoll to have this time. Is it something behind the scenes? Is there something more toward? Because the first thing I thought when I heard that Sean O'Driscoll had been sacked, obviously he had quite a poor run of form, mm. as Mark alluded to it, at the beginning of the season. I think it was 12 games, wasn't it, without a win? If there was ever a point to let him go, surely that was it. And then you see this rebuilding and, as you said, a decent run over the last seven or eight games or so. Is it a bit of friction there the, behind the scenes? The, the game where we all looked at was the, the sort of going to be the turning point of Sean O'Driscoll at Bristol City was the Crawley game, where if he didn't win that, we were all pretty sure that he was going to go. We went on to win it 2-0 quite comfortably and quite professionally. But um, squad harmonies always seem to be at a high. There's no, we've not heard any stories of dressing room unrest. It wasn't, it wasn't the case that it looked like that O'Driscoll had lost the dressing room, so which was one of the one of the main surprises. And, and in fact, the captain Sam Bullock comes come out after the uh, after the news that O'Driscoll was sacked, saying that he, the players are, are shocked and disappointed, and that they basically just spent the whole day sort of in shock and they didn't know what to do uh, on on Thursday when O'Driscoll was sacked, which is a, a ringing endorsement of of him from the players. And you know, we've we've seen interviews with O'Driscoll famously a few weeks ago when he lost it with a, with the, one of your colleagues from BBC Bristol and, and he is a bit of a spiky character isn't he he's a very precise man he doesn't 
mm. suffer falls gladly. He doesn't like stupid questions, and no, he does I, I not wonder like whether the, I wonder whether the same friction that he Hope sometimes he doesn't had to this show, then. <laughs> with, with the media could he perhaps have had that with with the board as well? Well, one of the first things which uh, O'Driscoll said when when he was appointed was, "I think I've got the board round to my way of thinking." Looking back at some of the comments from John Lansdowne since the sacking, I'm starting to think that maybe that wasn't quite the case in terms of Lansdowne saying that looking at the table, we're the second worst side in the league. Whereas O'Driscoll was always, you look at the performance rather than the points. And I think looking at the last seven games, you could see that the performances were just starting to turn around. So, no, I don't. maybe, maybe I don't think that Lansdowne and O'Driscoll were looking, reading off the same hymn sheet towards the end of his tenure. And I, I agree with you. I think, and you know, I, I was at the game where you beat your rivals, Bristol Rovers, in, in the JPT, and I was impressed with the, with the football that night. You could see that the players weren't always getting it right, but every single time they, they were bold and they were making, you know, trying to pass the ball in the right way and not just keep it for the sake of keeping it, but also be, you know, incisive with it. And it looked like there was, there was a real game plan, as you've alluded to. However, if you looked at it from the point of view of the powers that be at Bristol City, you've won two games out of 19 now in a league this season. This is a team that was in the championship uh, last season and you know has a hefty wage bill and is right down the bottom of League One with teams that shouldn't be anywhere near, such as Stevenage and Crew. So you can't, you can perhaps see why they would be worried your manager since Gary Johnson left the club in March 2010 you've had Keith Millen in charge twice uh, Steve Coppel briefly uh, you've had <laughs> Derek McInnes and Sean O'Driscoll I don't think any of those periods any of those managers since Gary Johnson can be regarded as, as a success so it's got to change at some point and a lot of people you know we've sung Sean O'Driscoll's praise on this show for two years and he's one of these people that's always talked about is you need O'Driscoll in to be a great manager for your club even he's not worked every time there was a managerial sacking it was oh, oh O'Driscoll will sort this lot out. He'll yeah. come in, he'll get us Absolutely. playing attractive football. He'll get us playing good football. Well, he wasn't going to make that happen overnight. That still needed, in my opinion, a certain amount of time and an amount of time which is getting increasingly, increasingly shorter. Of, any, of, of all the managers that we've talked about today, have any of them been in their job longer than a year? Dave Jones. Mm, yeah. I think. 18 months. Or which is, which is 21 months, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Not many. Yeah. But still, the point remains that as Sean said, the, the the window for immediately turning around what is normally a, a poor squad or you know a, a squad that's been relegated or on the brink of is is getting increasingly shorter. It's a tough gig, isn't it? If you're a, if you're a manager coming in, it's interesting. Maybe we'll talk about about this when we look at it in in a wider picture later on. But it, it seems to me that we've now arrived at a situation where, and this may have always been the case. Maybe it's just kind of uh, the, the modern hysteria that makes us think it's worse than it is. But every team seems to think no matter who they are no matter what their sort of size of club they are seems to think that they have the right to win all the games and be at the top of the league you know maybe that's that's a bit of an exaggeration but football by its very nature that there's you know not everyone can be first in the league no 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 and there's some massive (laughs) egos at stake here in terms of chairman in terms of players in terms of managers and as DC said there are only six you know, potential promotion spots or seven potential promotion spots, and somebody's going to fall outside of them. The majority of the teams, and to a lot of people, I think ideas above their station. Fifty million chasing the, the Premier League dream. Well, especially especially at City, since since we've been at Wembley, the entire view of what's successful for Bristol City as a club is just being completely skewed into mm. a nonsense direction. And then the 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 money which was spent to sort of 
live up with that skewed expectation from the fans is ultimately what's put us down with your Stevenages, which you, which you alluded to earlier. Before we maybe move on and, and look at and, and run Bristol City through the through the old <laughs> test, I wanted to just ask some questions about the, about the actual squad and, and some of the players that that O'Driscoll had. As you said, the squad has changed quite a lot. There was a number of players brought in in the summer. And the one that stands out for me is J. Emmanuel Thomas, a player who at Ipswich flattered to deceive, obviously a trainee at Arsenal. Uh, great ability, but he's never really hit the heights that he should have done throughout his career until this season. Scored 13 goals, and I remember that belter that I saw him score against Bristol Rovers, and, and he looks like he's having a real a real good season. So, you know, and there, again, that would perhaps be something in, in O'Driscoll's favour, and that he's a man that's finally managed to get the best out of what is clearly a talented player. Oh, he's playing a different game, that bloke. I've never seen anything <laughs> like it in a, in a city shape. He's definitely the most skillful on the ball of anyone who I've seen since watching City. The thing is with J. Emmanuel Thomas is that I remember uh, when City played Doncaster and they absolutely turned us over something silly like 5-2. He uh, was on loan with Sean O'Driscoll at that point and he absolutely ripped us apart. The thing is with Sean O'Driscoll, he knows with J. Emmanuel Thomas to just let him do his thing. He's not really got any sort of fixed position on the pitch. He's not up front. He's not on the wing. He's just on the pitch and he's doing what J. Emmanuel Thomas does. And that's usually pulling something out of nothing. On the flip side with Jet is that you can often get incredibly frustrated with him because he'll just sometimes plod around. And that is incredibly infuriating. And he is one of the most inconsistent players. And if he was consistent, then he wouldn't be playing for Bristol City. And you do have, I mean, as well as him, you've got players who have... You know, in some cases, played Premier League football and and done well there. Nicky Shorey played for England not so long ago. Marlon Harewood has had he's been around the block a few times, but he's still a player that scored goals in the Premier League. Marlon Pack has been an impressive player for Cheltenham over the last mm. few seasons. Scott Wagstaff from Charlton. You've got Sam Baldock, who not so long ago West Ham was spending big money on as they were trying to get into the Premier League. So again, it, it, this would be something for the case against Sean O'Driscoll that there are players in that squad who are a lot better than than what you're doing. Okay, quickly before we do run all these managers through this test, um, have you got a favourite for the the next man to take the job? I, don't, I, don't, I get the impression you haven't really quite got to grips with the fact that O'Driscoll's not coming back. Well, all, <laughs> all of the ones which have been thrown around, all all of the realistic ones seem like a little bit of a sidestep. If you ask me, like your Steve Cottrell's, your Paul Tisdale's, you can't write them off because they're not even at the club yet. But they just all seem like sidesteps. I don't want Ian Holloway. Don't <laughs> don't let us have Ian Holloway. He's the worst of all the gas heads. We don't want him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So uh, this was the uh, the five point plan that DC mentioned at the top of the show: form, performances, injuries, investment, and a little word he thinks is important in business called morale. So the fit and proper sacking test. Shall we start then, where we uh, began the show uh, with uh, Wigan Athletic and Owen Coyle, DC. Jim, Sean, form, performances, injuries, investment and morale. Does Owen Coyle pass the sacking test or not? So if he's passing the test, does that mean he should still be in the job? No. If, he, if he's passing the test, he should be out the door. It is a fit and proper sacking. Yes. Right. I, can, I don't think he passes, Owen Coyle passes no. the test. I'm inclined to in, agree. In this Either. example. I think there are too many mitigating factors in terms of the injuries that he's had. The form, you've got to take into account the Europa League. And I think the short amount of time he's had, and as we, we alluded to earlier, it's kind of come as a bit of a surprise to everyone. I think. But the Wigan fans it. didn't seem to be for him, though. No, uh, and I was actually surprised in in seeing over the last couple of weeks, actually not just since the result against no, Derby, true. in terms of how many fans were bemoaning the football. Maybe they've been spoiled. It's probably been managed by Roberto Martinez. Yeah. yeah, but I, I think it's it's always a very it's more difficult. Than you, than you think to manage a team that's been relegated from the Premier League often. You know, QPR are uh, stuttering now and, you know, Reading are, and 
uh, uh, kind of been in fits and starts this season and there's been a host of other teams that have come down and have not gone anywhere near going back up at the first attempt so I think it's not necessarily the most easy of jobs that he had there he has got a good squad but I don't think they've been a disaster I think they've been unlucky in some games they're clearly you know, reasonable at the back and they've, they've got talented forward players as we said earlier on um, so I think more time in this case I'm not saying he, he would necessarily have been a long term success or he may not have even taken them up but they're not a million miles away from where I think they probably should be at the moment and I think I am surprised that Dave Whelan has pulled the trigger this early Okay, so Owen Coyle does not pass the fit and proper sacking test does Dave Jones I think he does I think think Dave Jones has actually been given a fair amount of time there were many people who thought he would have gone last season when they went on that seven game um, losing run you know, he got them up and he and he kept them up last season. So in both of those things, he passed what he was supposed to do. And you know, needed to kick to on this season, really. But you know, when he was talking about not displaying the passion on the touchline, and sometimes that annoys me when people go on about that because it doesn't actually necessarily mean anything. But I do think that perhaps Dave Jones himself wasn't quite up to it I don't know if he had the motivation he always came out fighting in the press conferences but it was always there was always more of a negative slant on things Mm. he was always fending off people and having arguments with journalists over the last few weeks and stuff and some of the fans getting on his back and maybe he hasn't had loads of money to spend either and I think in his defence the the takeover that's supposedly happening and the investment the man that you're trying to bring in that's always been hanging over his head so there hasn't been lots of resources for him there Um, but I think he's had enough time to be better than where they are. We all agreed. Yeah, motion yeah. carried. Okay, <laughs> motion carried. <laughs> See you, okay. Dave. Sorry, um, mate. Next one, Jim. Barnsley sacking David Flickcroft. Does David Flickcroft pass the fit and proper sacking test? Yes, although I think it's harsh. I think similar to Dave Jones in the fact that your previous year's achievements almost need to be viewed as a separate spell in a sense that football now is such a short-term approach that you almost reset the clock on what your achievements and what your your uh, focus is for the season so yes keeping them up last year was important but you know 11, 11 points from 17 games rock bottom of the league with a horrific goal difference so essentially you know a point less than you've got because you're not going to catch anybody else on that front is yeah it's they're going to get relegated aren't they yeah, agreed I, I think the results and the performances in this case it didn't seem to me like there'd be much in the performances recently of Barnes no. to suggest that the going results out, were unfair going out to not get beat and he was in backed. a league like the Championship is is a, a poor really poor it's a sign of defeat back, he's been back more than you know most Barnsley managers have in the yeah. last few years that's for sure and, and he's not currently on course to be to be as good as them so uh, whilst I couldn't help but watch the Football League show this weekend and feel dreadfully sorry for him when he was in the dressing room. Yeah. He seems a lovely about, guy. Talking about the club, the yeah. club legend. Norman Remington. Yeah, and then, you know, they had to change the caption, didn't they, to former Barnsley manager <laughs> at the bottom of the screen. So I do feel sorry for him, and I think he, he's, a, he's a man perhaps different to the cases of maybe someone like Dave Jones who will probably resurface and get another chance somewhere, and good luck to him. The Football League show getting a little taste of our own medicine there. We've, we've had that millions of times, yeah. haven't we? Uh, OK, right, so uh, next was uh, Crawley and Richie Barker this is probably slightly more tougher one to call does Richie Barker being sacked pass the fit and proper sacking test I would argue probably not no I don't think so either because I mean they're not in dire straits are they they're not they're not in the relegation zone when I first heard of the news and then I heard the Portsmouth link I thought well they're obviously there's some kind of deal which has happened there he wants yeah. to go to Portsmouth they're saying they right said, we're going to sack you we're going to reject the approach yeah. and he said well, well get rid of me. I'll go then yeah 
Um, but obviously it's not really turned out that no, way because no. they've approached Chris Wilder and they've approached Justin Edinburgh as well. Yeah, although I think they've been denied permission. To yeah, Newport have said no Newport. to an approach um, for Justin Edinburgh. Too. But I mean, he's he's not he's not had a lot of money to spend in the transfer window. Not many players came into the club in the summer. I think he did well last season, and I think he was as it stood, you know, on course to replicate that sort of finish. Maybe a bit higher, maybe a bit lower, but around that sort of mark. Clearly, there were things that he was trying to work on trying to make it tighter from the start of the season which we seem to have done but then obviously the goals are dried up but you know given a bit more time maybe they could have found the balance and they could have been around you know league one is is a division and any division in the football league you know as we've said many times there aren't much between a lot of these teams you know there's not much at all it can take a couple of games and then you you get that confidence confidence in the psychological side is so important and I think on this this case, I think he's been hard hard done by. Motion carried, I think. So that's two each. The deciding one then, Sean O'Driscoll. Sean, does this pass the uh, fit and proper sacking test? See, I think that it doesn't, mainly based due to the performances and that Sean O'Driscoll, and what Sean O'Driscoll was trying to do. It's, it's, it's such a tough one because it's so split on the expectation of what City should be and where they actually are. But I'm going to maintain that it doesn't pass the fit and proper sacking test. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I went out when I was tweeting about this after the news broke. I had saw I started off saying that it was harsh, and then I kind of nearly got my opinions changed after a number of people kind of were tweeting me several things. But I think listening to Sean and what you're saying today, I, I've come round to the fact. <coughs> I, 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 I've noticed a lot of people on Twitter confidence. with similar opinions to you. Like the, I know the um, Paul Binning, the XR Robin, was very unhappy about it. Yeah, I mean, I've got confidence. I think in in O'Driscoll that he would have turned it round, and I think there are enough green shoots of of hope there to suggest that given the time not this season but within the next few years he could have replicated what he did at Doncaster yep. and, and had more resources and a better platform to do better than what he did at, at Doncaster but there is that horrific record you know in the league there are they are no doubt about it you know you're, you're second bottom you've been in the relegation all season so that, from that perspective you are in a relegation battle I can understand why owners would be nervous but I think you know in this case sometimes you've just got to back your man and, and yep. stick with him because mm. As we've mentioned, all those managers before that have been a, that have been a failure at Bristol City, you're back to square one again, and there's no one necessarily is going to come sweeping in and be able to start again and 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 make everything okay overnight. So I think you, Bristol City may well live to regret yeah. this decision. In the next couple of years, there's going to be a club that put Sean O'Driscoll in and give him the time. If you give him 18 months and allow him to do what he wants to do, I think you'll benefit from that, like Doncaster did. I think I think a common theme with all of these it is just all coming down to time. Like how long is enough? <laughs> to give a manager and I think it's just becoming apparent that it's becoming shorter, it's shorter and shorter, and shorter it's like six time. games if you go on a six or seven game run then you're, 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 you're sort pressure. of in, under pressure and in yeah. danger but to play devil's advocate you look at Wigan and, and we're saying that they hasn't been given enough time sometimes you know it's courageous and it's good leadership if you're in charge of a football club to recognise early doors that there's a problem and I'm going to stop this before it gets too late I'm going to take the courage and I'm going to say look I'm the man in charge Owen Coyle Sean O'Driscoll whoever it may be remember when Alex McLeish was sacked and McLaren was sacked after Forest, you know and that sort of those sort of situations I'm sorry it's not work we've got it wrong I've got it wrong here but we're going to go for someone else and we're going to make it right so it's not always 100% cut and shut that 
managers need to be given three years everywhere to be a success right. because sometimes things do go wrong and there are signs that it isn't going to work so you should change so I think you do have to look at it as we've tried to do on an individual basis Good stuff Okay so that is the fit and proper sacking test done let us know what you think at Wagyu Podcast on Twitter that's at Wagyu Podcast uh, or you can uh, email via the website wearegoingup.co.uk Now fans of my club will be devastated to learn there isn't a my club this week however we will rattle through a few things to uh, end the show in just a second So, DC, yep. Paul Glover's been back on. Oh, excellent. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, so, you asked last week, the uh, reminder of the question was, uh, why uh, Charlton called the addict? Yes. Okay. Charlton historians agree that the most likely explanation dates back to a fish and chip shop in 1908. Good. And the addicts derived from the word haddock. Arthur Bryan was a local fishmonger who helped underwrite the cost of establishing Charlton at the Valley. And the club and its opposition used to dine on fish suppers following matches. Excellent. There you go. I wasn't expecting that. But that's Have you got good. another question? Um, or is that the any end? more for Charlton? No, I'll, I will. Leave, I'll give Paul a week off. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, so because uh, we're uh, sort of so close to the end here, we should uh, just pick out three or four things I think from the football league this week. Um, Jim, we'll come to you first because you were at the KP Stadium on I Saturday. Was. Leicester finally beating Millwall. They're a bit of a bogey team for you. Yeah, they have been. Last um, year, but you beat yeah. them by three goals to nil. And because of those defeats for Burnley and QPR, Leicester have pulled clear at the top of the Championship yeah. with that victory. And great tweet from Gary Lineker. I think this has uh, been a little bit mischievous to all the. Uh, Arsenal fans at the weekend he said clear at the top of the league playing great football players working hard for each other good leadership dot 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 is it Leicester's time let's hope so um, oh Gary you're so witty the player that I wanted to highlight I've, I've talked about a few players this year uh, Liam Moore Jamie Vardy uh, Marcin Wazilewski our new fullback playing at right back in the absence of Richard Delat. we signed him on a free transfer from Anderlecht where he was there for six years and I've had a look into this uh, today basically he spent six years at Anderlecht and had a really bad leg break and kind of they nursed him through this rehabilitation process and he's just become this club legend this cult figure and they had to let him go on a free transfer we picked him up there was a hundred Anderlecht fans came over for the game on Saturday <laughs> and just parked themselves up in the quietest part of the stadium and as soon as he got the ball just went mental for 90 minutes Brilliant. it was absolutely amazing and they those hundred fans made more noise than the majority of the singing loud areas of our stadium and the scenes at the end when he kind of they all came down to meet him at the pitch side and it was absolutely brilliant there's a YouTube video we can put it on the, the Waggy page yeah, he, he looks a real gem at 33. certainly doesn't act like a 33-year-old. He was uh, springing forward to uh, cross the balls in, and he was he was crucial. So Mick McCarthy's beard. What's he doing? <laughs> is he trying to be Santa at the Christmas party? Have you seen this? He's a big fan. He's, uh, his his beard like hair is going to be longer than his head hair soon. He's refusing to... Uh... To cut is it, he to having shave. a Tom Huddleston style <laughs> thing? They're winning. Just shave it off, mate. What's he going to do? Keep it till they lose? Sorry, I thought you were going to say something. There. No, I'm, I'm in wholehearted support of Mick McCarthy. You might say something. You might say something to this. this is the tweet from Stuart Barnes? Uh, ha 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 ha! Have some of that after saying Watford surely wouldn't lose to Yeovil. Oh dear, he's a, he's a Yeovil fan. Well, you don't need to rub it in, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm very used to tempting fate and it coming back to bite me every week. Um, yeah, well, I guess it's reasonably relevant given what we've been talking today because we've now lost four home games in a row. We have got real problems. There, there's a chronic lack of confidence defensively, a shambolic, and just can't get the ball in the net. And all of those things combined means you're <laughs> not very good. But there's a real split at the moment. It seems that there's no middle ground from from 
from what I can see on Twitter and from speaking to people who've been going to all the games, you've got people that are booing, think it's time that Zola's should go, and they they rear out these tired notions that oh he's too rubbish, he's not too nice. And I said that's a disrespectful thing to say. The man's clearly a good manager. He did a good job last season, but. There are some people that want him to go, but then on the other hand, there are some people that just won't hear anything, you know, about him. That they won't hear any criticism against Zola, and they think that because we did well last season, he should be protected. I don't. I think it's in the middle. We have got problems, and he needs to prove that he is the man to turn it around. I believe he can. I hope he can. But we need to start doing something soon, otherwise this season will just fade into into the background, as it always seems to do. <laughs> whenever there are expectations on Watford, we we struggle. I can't ever remember a season where we were fancied for promotion where we've actually delivered on that. It's always when we're the underdogs. We that we do well and, and so it's proving to be again Speaking of managers Paul Cox is under pressure at Mansfield they've uh, had a horrible run like six defeats in a row mm-hmm. or something like that so he's under pressure Alan Hill's still under pressure because talking you know bottom of the football league Russ Wilcox who took over at Scumthorpe three wins in three easy game yeah. uh, they beat Torquay at the weekend and I thought I'd pick out a couple of goals to finish uh, Chris Maguire's free kicks for Coventry yeah I was going to say that MK Dons absolutely amazing on loan from Sheffield Wednesday how many did they take to that game 7,000 7, yeah. yeah. to Stadium MK Carl Robinson again another man under pressure because MK Robinson, Dons are yeah. horror show at the moment and Dean Cox as well another great goal for Orient at the weekend yeah indeed and one little bit of hope I think for teams out there who may be struggling and boards out there who may be thinking of sacking their managers because they're struggling what happened what happened this weekend the three bottom teams in each of the leagues won. Yeovil, yeah. Crew, and Northampton. And they're all, you know, all of a sudden things look better for all, for all three of those teams. So, you know, it's not always the right thing to do. Final thing we need to mention um, AFC Wimbledon. One who uh, head back to yes, Wimbledon, they do. don't they? Yes, they do. Well, Charlie, uh, Charlie Talbot, who we had on the show a while back, uh, is sort of organising the campaign to get the Dons back home. And we'll tweet the link to the website. And it would be brilliant to see, wouldn't it, be back to, to get them back at Plough Lane after all these years. And it would be kind of the final, I imagine the final piece in the puzzle that is the amazing story of AFC Wimbledon. The, uh, the link is bringthedonshome.org if you'd like to go and have a look at that. Uh, also, you can uh, sign up for uh, Audible, free audiobook as ever. You go to audible.co.uk. Many of which will be significantly shorter than this podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is probably the longest one we've ever done. Free one-month trial and a free audiobook to walk away with right now. You get 80,000 to pick from. Uh, please go to audible.co.uk uk slash going up and get involved there uh, final thing to say the uh, voting does close as we said on Friday at midday for the FSF Awards 2013 so if you can spare 10 seconds to vote for us this week it'll be appreciated fsf.org.co.uk uh, sorry if, I can't say the bloody address fsf.org.uk as an encouragement awards. right as an encouragement to people to vote okay this this evening I, I will pledge to go up and to if, if, if any of the Premier League stars are there that are nominated for player of the year I will go up to one of them and say something that someone tells me to say if we win as, as vague a promise as I've ever heard well, but okay think, I like know, it you, you know you could be creative okay. what do you want me to go and say to Juan Mata like but to do that, injured, he might be there. to do that, you've got to make us win. So get voting. Get voting. Sean, thanks for coming in. No problem, guys. Cheers, mate. Uh, right, Jim, cheers. DC thanks, as well. Um, hope you've managed to make it to the end. Uh, we'll be back <laughs> in seven days' time. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Yeah!